0: W Media.
1: Welcome to Feminist Buzzkills Live, the show that was as excited as usual to see this year's Super Bowl halftime satanic ritual and Rihanna <laughs> did not disappoint. It's like Rosemary's Baby mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with Rihanna. Music. Yes, Very exciting. <laughs> um, I'm Rihanna Winstead as, and as always I'm joined by my co-host Mojiala O'Dell. Hello and Marie Khan is back. Yes and I can talk
0: without coughing. Coming up on today's show we get to chat with comedian and activist Joelle Nicole Johnson and are joined by Uduak Nakanga from the
1: Afia Center. But first, how's the last week been?
2: Oh my gosh. It was quite a week.
1: It was quite a week. I'm excited because I got to do the Daily Show on Monday and we got a shit ton of new podcast subscribers. And so for those of you who saw the episode, I wanted to tell you what I didn't get a chance to talk about because everyone was talking about it. Then We didn't get a chance to talk about it, which is this very terrifying Texas judge who is going to rule on one of the crucial parts of medication abortion, um, mifepristone, because some quacks, a quack group of advocates for the unborn who are vaguely associated to medical things around the unborn, filed a lawsuit in Amarillo, Texas, solely for the purpose of getting this one particular creepy ass judge. They really picked their judge. They picked their judge and they picked their judge because they knew this judge would rule to say that the FDA, I'm paraphrasing, didn't put any thought into approving mifepristone 23 years ago and that it was a reckless decision and it's dangerous.
2: The wild part is that even if it was, it's been 20 plus years. We're fine.
3: Yeah.
1: Also, I think more people die of gun-related injury, gun-related things than abortion pill-related things in Texas. hmm hmm But the thing that's real creepy about this is um, they picked this judge in this district because he is, I mean, he's literally said that contraception should be outlawed. LGBTQ people are, you know, of Satan. I think he actually denies the existence of trans people. I mean, it's a mess. But also, they know that this ruling will immediately be appealed, and the court that he is in is the Fifth Circuit Court, which is the most conservative court in America and has upheld every shitbag abortion law ever, and then the only respite we have is the current Supreme Court.
2: Oh, we can trust them. We can fully trust them to make reasonable measured decisions on abortion.
1: It's pretty scary. And it's really important that y'all pay attention to what's happening here, because they are coming up with any kind of way that they can do it. And if you just want to be mad at Josh Hawley even further, Josh Hawley's wife is the lead attorney for the anti-abortion people. And That got my goat. So then I was like, okay, who are these people? Because the people bringing this lawsuit formed this organization like six months ago. That's what I was going to bring up. They formed this organization in that specific spot so they could get this specific judge.
2: It's really devious.
1: Yeah. And they're called the Association of Medical Hippocratic Something. We'll put it in the show notes. But if you scroll down to the bottom, it lists the organizations. So I went to every single one of those organizations' websites. The president of every single one of those organizations or the board chair, cis white man, each of their boards or their staffs are primarily cisgendered white men. And so it'll be interesting to see, they have to show that they have standing to take this on. Have any of them ever used the abortion bill? How would they have standing? I think they should take several seats instead of thinking they have standing. But so I don't know. So I want you to watch this space. Also, one thing that's very cool is the ruling is coming down on the 24th. On the 27th, that Monday, we're going to have a public conversation that is moderated by Jessica Mason Piccolo, one of the fabulous Boom Lawyer team um, with some really great experts so that you, the public, can hear from the people doing this work and hear what you can do to fight back because it's time that we start having conversations publicly. So it's going to be part of our Operation Save Abortion series. It's going to be the newest informational video that we do. So check this space and go to operationsaveabortion.com to get all the details where you can sign up to watch and stuff like that. But I just wanted to let folks know and give people a heads up and give y'all a heads up, but I can't stay on the podcast. I have to go because I'm in Florida right now because yeah, I came here willingly to do a super cool conference. Liz, we are fully going to miss you. Yes. But I'm going to peel off. But you have such a great show. Y'all hold it down to all you who came and joined us from Daily Show this week. Welcome. I'm going to turn you over to the very capable, amazing hands of Moji Marie. And you guys are going to, I think, um, get some other news of the week from the one
3: and only Molly Gaby. So Molly in, Liz out. Bye, everybody. Thanks friends. Okay, let's get into this week's dump. First up in leaked audio, Mike Pence says he wants to ban a medication abortion pill because he says that they're dangerous. Uh, mifepristone is safer than viagra so the pill to get it out is safer than the pill to get it up people all right by the way if i look ill it's because kentucky is giving me a full-blown ulcer this week so the first newborn was surrendered anonymously at a kentucky safe haven baby box and their creepy founder is hailing it as a win yay because who needs health care and social services when you got boxes the anti-abortion alternative to human rights also in kenyaki a state with capital punishment a house representative filed a bill to prosecute illegal abortion as homicide nothing like proving how pro-life you are by threatening to kill people uh, kentucky has a total abortion ban so if you're pregnant it would be the high chair or the electric chair two options speaking of death or birth is your only options tennessee right to life is fighting proposed language to their ban that says that doctors can give life-saving abortions without fear of prosecution they don't trust doctors to be objective in life or death emergencies. So their pie in the sky is you bleeding out while a doctor gets a second opinion on whether you're gonna die or not. Charming. Uh, and finally, South Carolina is spending time and money not deciding if they will harm a pregnant person, but how much they wanna harm pregnant people. Like a turd on a Roomba, their shit abortion bans just keep circulating. I'm so sorry for the buttload of crap I just dumped on you, but that's been your steaming news dump back to you guys. Who's leading these bonkers decisions in South Carolina, Molly? Honestly, Marie, great question. Um, it's not women, that's for sure. Uh, I think there's more shrimp tails and cinnamon toast crunch than women in the South Carolina legislature. We'll put it that way.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Molly. So, Moji, you did a deep dive into the wonky South Carolina abortion bans. What, what's going on there? What are you seeing? <sighs> well,
2: South Carolina really can't commit to exactly what direction of terrible abortion bans they want to enact. This week, the South Carolina Republican-led Senate voted 83 to 31 to outlaw abortion at the point of conception. They did that just a few days after they'd also outlawed abortion at six weeks, At this rate, I expect them to outlaw non procreation sex next week. The ridiculousness of this is further underscored by the South Carolina Supreme Court's recent ruling that a six week ban that their legislature passed in 2021 is unconstitutional according to the right of privacy enshrined in that state's constitution. So, seriously, like, what the fuck? And so, our pet hate group, Operation Save America, has decided to head there for their annual conference. And there they're going to harass providers and talk to CISHET male legislators who all agree that 14-year-olds make great parents and women dying in childbirth is God's plan. Seriously, I have no idea what the fuck South Carolina is up to. And it's interesting, just Marie, to sort of talk about this OSA thing, right, which is an aside. The associate national director, Matt Brock, has basically claimed that OSA's Fingerprints, that's what uh, Operation Save America uses. That's how we abbreviate it. are All over the South Carolina bill because it's one of those equal protection bills, which I went on a little deep dive about. And these are basically bills that they and advocates like them kind of circulate around friendly legislatures that declare all abortions illegal, period.
0: I'm tied to the whole personhood piece, I assume too, right, Moji? It's a
2: part of it, definitely. But the equal protection just doesn't even get into that. And it's just like,
0: that's uh, this is the term equal protections and all abortions are illegal.
2: And it's like not a topic, not rape, not anything. Abortion, bad.
0: Women, die. To reiterate Molly's earlier point that South Carolina has more shrimp than women in elected positions. And as a coastal state, maybe, yes, they have a leg up in that. But come on. No, no one is is here stepping up to the bat for individuals rights, and we need to demand that of South Carolina, it is disgusting to tell people to move to find you know a state with better rights, we have to sit here and we have to oppose what these men are opposing rape and incest exceptions, and we have to say trust physicians to to know what their patients need. It's wild too,
2: because in the ban that was passed on Wednesday of this week, basically the men who were grandstanding about it and supporting it were talking about their Christian faith. And it's like, oh, you're not even pretending that this isn't some sort of religious crusade. I'm just gonna say that.
0: This is a state that we've seen too, both both as individuals, but also like being on TikTok. South Carolina is a state that people go to to really conduct their abortion harassing tourism. Like that's a state where busloads of retirees roll up. Whereas, you know, they could be going to Hilton Head, but no, you're instead over here to harass pregnant people while you got your kids and your grandkids, your, your church community showing up. So we need to show up and be there. And I know, Moji, you mentioned that AAF, Abortion Access Front, is going to be heading over to combat OSA, right?
2: Yeah, OSA is going to be there. And they routinely, there's like one indie clinic there and they routinely harass them. And I think to even harass them, it's like they go through extraordinary measures. They have to like climb up a ladder and then like stand on it and like yell over the fence. And there's a fake clinic right next to it. As we know, you know, fake clinics love to set themselves up right next to real clinics, places that provide real reproductive health services. But AAF team members and some uh, associates are going to go down and shut this bullshit down. And we will be posting all of our good trouble there on our socials. So you should follow at Abortion Front if you want to see what goes down next week. Yeah. Also, Marie, last week, the FACE Act delivered good news and rage-inducing news. Walk us through it.
0: Yes, Moji. So the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, it was created in 1994. And this was in response to a Florida situation where two abortion providers and their staff were murdered in front of their clinics. An act that in the last 30 years, as clinic violence has increased, AAF, we've talked about this, this act hasn't gotten a lot of protected use by the parties it's actually intended for. And what we actually have seen happen in a sick but unsurprising twist is the successful appropriation by the anti-choice communities of claiming that FACE protects their own fake clinics. And we're watching this play out, ironically, again, in Florida, where two folks suspected of spray painting on a fake clinic, vandalism, they're facing 12 years. Now, simultaneous to that, a clinic arsonist in Michigan that confessed they have it all he got five years and has to pay a little over 32000 in fines so far. For
2: burning down a clinic?
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: For burning down a real health center, whereas this is particularly maddening to me because we talked about this before, but Becerra, when he was the Attorney General of California, basically took fake clinics to task, and their argument was that they are not a real clinic. And this is really them both having their cake and eating it too. Yep. You get the protections of a real clinic without any of the oversight or any of the regulations or any of the of the of the things that basically make healthcare safe, none of the HIPAA protections, yep. but instead when someone does something benign like defacing, they weaponize this face act that is there to protect real clinics to essentially find loopholes to attack people who don't agree with them. It's really fucked up.
0: Yes, in the last 30 years there's only been about 100 cases against people who made threats on abortion clinic workers. Arson is a common tactic people use, shooting attacks, physical blockades, all of these things occur, and only a handful of those instances have actually gotten to utilize face as a tool. And I think we should also acknowledge how this legislation sprang from very targeted violence, murder of medical providers, which are real people, real human beings that died. But when the other side has mild vandalism occur, that's when the alarms get sounded.
2: This current house, remember, they like they've got they, they go on about inflation. They go on about whatever they want to do for people. Mm-hmm. They finally pick a speaker after 40 days and 40 nights. And then the first thing they do is say that fake clinics get face protections.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like... Look at Moji out there pretending you understand Lent better than the rest of us. Yeah, party, property over people. This is on brand, on brand. Oh, all right. Well, folks, as a reminder, these stories will be in the show notes. And as always, the most up-to-the-minute resource on accessing abortion care and funding for your care is an com. And now it's time for our first podcast this week, Moji.
2: Oh my God. I am so excited to welcome political content creator, former Texas state candidate, author, and policy associate at the AFIA Center in Texas, Uduak Nakanga. Uduak, thank you for joining us on the pod.
3: Welcome.
2: Thank you for having me. We are pretty excited to have you on the pod, actually. Super excited.
4: Loved reading about you. Can you tell our listeners about the work that the AFIA Center does? So my name is Uduak Nakenga. I work on policy on behalf of the AFIA Center. So we are currently the first and only Black-led RJ Center in uh, North Texas. Essentially what we do at the AFIA Center, we prioritize transforming the lives of Black women and girls in North Texas. Although we are nationally recognized, we are based in Dallas, specifically South Oak Cliff area. And yeah, that's pretty much what we do do as a whole, just prioritizing policy, community outreach, everything that kind of like involves Black women and girls. How do you do this work in Texas? That's a good question. So uh, with Texas being Texas, as you know, there is a lot of obstacles in front of us, but something that we really um, make sure to prioritize is community outreach, knocking on doors, talking to the community, knowing what they need, knowing their wants, and going back to policymakers and making sure we're establishing that relationship, being the middle ground between community and policymakers. Essentially, just to make sure that we are providing the community with what their needs are and being that voice that's needed.
0: I'm really glad that you brought up reproductive justice in particular as being the framework that you all operate from, because that is a distinction of what many of the organizations are that get attention, that get funding, get mentioned in the media, and I wondered if you could specifically also talk about how reproductive justice informs both the work of the Afia Center and also the work that you do specifically, because you are pretty awesome yourself.
4: Yeah, I'm pretty badass.
0: And we, can, we can see this, this like intersectional RJ component to you, and we wondered if you could talk about it.
4: Yeah, so a key thing when it comes to reproductive justice, a lot of people automatically think of the right to bodily autonomy. Um, what people fail to realize is reproductive justice is the framework. So reproductive justice, we believe, should be given at birth all the way until you die. So that includes right to clean water, right to clean environment, right to livable wages, right to affordable health care and so forth. So what we do is we not only prioritize, but we make sure that our key priorities coming into specifically this legislative session is around the reproductive justice framework. We already came out with our most recent campaign, I Am an RJ Voter, and that pretty much breaks down what it actually means to be a reproductive justice, not only voter, but a supporter.
2: So we were pumped when reading about the FES Center to hear about the Advocacy Week. Can you talk about the upcoming Advocacy Week and what is it that happens with both the FES Center and in the ways you engage the community during that week?
4: Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. Advocacy Week we're super, super excited because this is like our first time actually hosting our own advocacy week. We participate in advocacy weeks prior and historically, but this is our first time actually leading it. So within our advocacy week, it consumes of three important key dates. So February 28th is our community forum. That is where we are launching our official campaign of I Am an RJ Voter. It's going to be in Davis Chapel in the heart of Dallas in South Oak Cliff. Um, We're inviting the community come to learn more about what it means to be an RJ voter. We'll have a panel. And within that panel, we have a representative within each program of the AFIA Center that includes our HIV program, our birth justice, community outreach, and policy. And we're pretty much engaging the community community and what it means to be an RJ voter in the lens of each program that we have under the AFIA Center. Uh, March 1st, which would be Wednesday, that is advocacy training. So that is a full day of training Everyone that we're bringing to Austin, which would be March 2nd, the actual Advocacy Day, we're just training them the ins and outs of legislation, the materials that they need, RJ 101, what is Advocacy Day, Policy Overview. We'll even have breakout groups allowing them to engage in what they will be engaging in the following day. So that's pretty much what our Advocacy Week entails. We're super, super excited. So much work has gone behind this and we're excited at this point. (laughs) It sounds incredible. How do you get the community to come
2: out? like, what are the things you're doing to get people to, to show up and be engaged? I feel like a lot of people hear about advocacy and kind of want to be engaged, but don't necessarily know where to start or or just how to do it. Like, How do you get everyone to show up?
4: Yeah. So that's a good question because it is around this time, I will say it's harder to get people more excited around the conversation, mainly because a lot of people are losing faith in not necessarily, not only system, but just the topic at hand. They're just like, I I don't know what to do at this point. So what we do is we try to utilize social media for one, Um, utilizing it to max capacity and reaching folks within the area to get them out, keep them engaged and so forth. Two is utilizing our partners. Like for example, this beautiful podcast, And thank you again for even inviting us, just making sure we're connecting with our partners and getting people more involved in the conversation and engaging them in the process as well. It is not as easy as it may seem. It's very hard, but it's not impossible. It's just mainly just emphasizing taking one step at a time, um, meeting people where they're at, allowing them to come in. Another key thing within this conversation, a lot of people feel as if they need to have prior knowledge when it comes to engaging with reproductive justice, policy work, community work, and so forth. We meet you where you're at. And I think that's a key thing too, with keeping people engaged, just informing them that you don't have to have a, B, and C, like you don't have to have all the knowledge, know all the right or wrong answers, just come in and we'll we'll take care of the rest.
2: One of the most, I'm sorry, Marita, I'm jumping in, but one of the most inspiring things that I heard you say, you said um, positions of power should be used as avenues for equity, and that should be the basis for representative politics. Mm. How does Advocacy Week, I think it's obvious, but I just love to hear you say, how does Advocacy Week help work towards that
4: goal? hundred percent. So I think um, with Advocacy Week, and how it helps for us to work towards that goal is that we, like I stated before, we're allowing the people in the community to represent the community. We're bringing people from the community and building that connection with people in positions of power to understand um, what they need, what they want. And I think a key priority with legislation and creating policy and bills is that people forget they are public servants. You get paid to represent me, you get paid to represent you, you get paid to represent the community. So if you're getting paid to do this job, you need to make sure that you're listening to the people that you are representing. So I think with Advocacy Week, we wanna make sure that the women we bring in, we implement the power that they have within themselves to be able to represent themselves, for them to understand the power behind their voices and be able to not only engage with legislative, but learn the process. Because it's not often that you see 50 Black women at the state capitol at once. So what we're doing right now, is it's history in the making. Like, I hate to boost this, but, you know, it's history in the making.
2: (laughs) No, I think you need to boost it so people know, like, show up and be a part of history.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's a space and an environment that like, yes, people are being forced into because of racism, white supremacy. But the fact that like people can actually take this, like you can center yourselves. For sure. Like it's it's amazing and historical. And more people, like I know y'all are based in Texas, but you talked about the international like reach and impact of the AFIA Center. Like this. This is definitely something for people that are thinking and listening, you know, how to get activated in ways like these types of actions that are centering the folks that should be listened to are so important and could be. That that
4: is something that easily folks in other states and other communities could do. For sure. Uh, I think another key thing is that a lot of people feel like um, they have to be in Texas or be based in Dallas to support. There's other ways to support. I just found out like only, I think it's 6% of our following is based in Dallas. So that just goes to show the vast variety of impact that the AFIa Center is having nationwide.
0: That is amazing. Like I'm based in the Midwest and I've I've heard of you all like we, we've definitely heard of you and looked at your work and like toolkits and how you all model things oh, wow. for other Midwestern communities. Like y'all
4: are like a known, recognized force. That means a lot. That means a lot. It, it reassures <laughs> us that the work we're doing, it's paying off, the, that the impact is there. I mean,
0: you you ran through your, your schedule through March 2nd. Like what other events do you have coming up? Like I
4: hope y'all are going to take a
0: little break after you get everything rolled out and done. <laughs> but like.
4: Yeah, so like um yeah that's just up until March 2nd. I know with HIV awareness day, our HIV program is working around the means of that. And even after advocacy week um policy, we're still going to be in Austin like day in and day out trying to get bills presented, trying to get our priorities listened to as well. So it's going to be uh, just right now, I think our priority is Advocacy Week, but it will be adjusted after that. We will take a breather, a much needed breather. <laughs> and then- Yeah, breathers are important.
2: Yes. We can't do this without taking breaks. And like, you have to secure your own seatbelt.
4: Exactly. And that's another key thing that I love about the FIA Center, the um, how they highlight mental health. Because this is the first place that I've actually engaged into where mental health was actually prioritized. So we understand like the importance of the work, but we also have to sometimes take a step back and realize, hey, the work is always going to be there. Make sure you're good, you know.
2: That's truly important. Can you just? I'm I'm just backtracking a tiny bit. Um, so this particular advocacy week for the AFEA Center in Texas, can you eliminate any of the particular policy priorities you'll be focused on? Will these come out of the conversations you have with people before the event happens?
4: So what we're doing is we will be teaching the advocates our priorities and we're going to like teach them the language, the spiel and what we are like pushing for this upcoming legislative session. So within the AFIA Center, we are having our priorities set around doula reimbursement, bodily autonomy overall, even though we understand a lot of other orgs will be focusing on bodily autonomy. Most of our energy wouldn't really be in there, but we still acknowledge that. HIV experiences, a lot of times HIV experiences get swept under the rug. A lot of people don't even start conversations around that. So that's a key priority as well. And also voter disenfranchisement because none of this can happen if we don't even solidify not only like our right to vote, but also protecting the right to vote. So those are our main priorities. I know there's been bills whether um around, specifically like doula reimbursement, there's been bills that's been presented like HB 852, HB 663, HB 465, all in which that surrounds itself around doula reimbursement. The same thing with HIV experiences as well. So those are pretty much our priorities. A lot of times, like I stated before, when they think of a fear center, they think of um, right to bodily autonomy, which is good, but we also understand the importance of dividing and conquering. So we know if a lot of organizations are prioritizing that, we need to, um, as a smaller org, put our energy in other things that aren't being touched as well.
2: Texas is a place that um, is really big on voter disenfranchisement. <laughs>
5: Say that again. <laughs> you know, like it's
2: uh, I feel like a lot of terrible voter disenfranchisement sort of starts in Texas, and then it just like explodes out into other parts. Texas really is the training ground for a lot of crap.
4: Yes, it's, it's really sad and unfortunate. So you are
2: incredibly young and you ran for office in probably one of the tougher states to run in. Uh, how was that experience?
4: It was, I feel... Okay, I'll say this. I can understand why younger people do not run for office after experiencing that. And I say that mainly because um, I don't say that to scare people off, but kind of to give people a sense of reality of what it takes to not only run, but the stuff that happens behind the scenes. I do not regret it. A hundred percent. I would do it again in a heartbeat, but yeah, it, it is tough. You just have to be able to prioritize your principles and morals before position and power. What people think running is, the challenges, the hardships, it's everything plus more. I really truly hope and pray, like even with doing this advocacy week and having younger people getting involved, I really, really hope that they find power in their voice, and that's what me running did. It gave me a sense of power in my voice. It showed me the importance of whether the likelihood of you winning a race or not winning the race, you had something to say and you said it, regardless of what came your way, regardless of the, um, regardless if the likelihood of you winning was slim to none, you still had that power. So that's something that we want to make sure that we implement with the advocates, the women that we're bringing to Austin. Like not only shown the importance of getting engaged, but where do you see yourself in leadership in the process as well?
2: That is so inspiring. Oh, um, thanks.
4: Yeah. I'm like, I'm like
2: twice your age and I'm like, the idea of running is terrifying. Oh. And then to sort of read that you had gone and done it. And again, in Texas of all places, is just yeah. really exciting.
0: And like, what also like, what is the age? We know there isn't an age, right? <laughs> like, or there is, but it's for a certain particular type of like frail pale male Mm -hmm. and
4: yeah it's it's
0: it's just so freaking cool and the fact that like how you're talking about how you prioritize like the values over everything else like there's people that are never going to recognize that and see that so i'm so glad to like hear people like you that do Mm -hmm. like
4: D- did that yeah, and we will continue to do that. Thank you. And, I, and it's something that I always live by, like 90% of life is not what's done to you, but how you choose to react. So we can't fully control how other people may utilize their power, utilize the position, but you can very much do so. So that's another key thing that I really want to emphasize with even the younger generation and Gen Z in politics is like, just because the people before you did A, B, and C and gained A, B, and C by doing that, and they normalize struggle, normalize triumph, they normalize this type of lifestyle, that doesn't mean we have to do so as well. And that's a key thing that our executive director, uh, Ms. Marsha Jones, implements within the AFIA Center as well. It's being able to normalize using your voice in these spaces that weren't created for you.
2: That is so inspiring. I
4: love that you said that
2: a lot of your support is outside of the Texas area. Can you tell us ways that people can support the AFIA Center wherever they happen to be?
4: For sure. Y'all can donate. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, but also yes. (laughs) You have the means. (laughs) No, joking, but serious, because a lot of times people overlook smaller organizations, not throwing shade or anything to the bigger ones, because the bigger ones are just as important because they donate as well. But it's just like these smaller organizations like the AFIA Center and being Black-led, they tend to be overlooked. So we do have to have funding in order to continue to do the work that we do. So donating at theafiacenter.org will hundred percent be appreciated, whether it's a dollar, whether it's 10, whether it's $10,000, you know, we all, (laughs) we appreciate anything, even aside from donating, but just supporting us on social media, a key thing, especially with this day and age, people underestimate the power in social media, resharing, posting, um, tagging us, commenting, liking that helps spread the word that people like people don't fully understand. Even if it's just like sending it to your friends or family, that's wonderful as well. And also engaging in a lot of our virtual events. I know with our community organizers, they do a lot of Facebook lives and just tapping in, watching and so forth, or just like even connecting with us. Like we do call logs we where we call the community and so forth. We can send y'all a call sheet or whatever. There's multiple ways to um, engage in the process. Don't Don't feel like you can't because you're not at arm's reach.
0: That is amazing. Thank you so much, Udoak, for joining us today. Period. Thank y'all so much for having
2: me. Uduak, thank you. This was really inspiring.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. The AFIA Center's official advocacy week begins Tuesday, February 28th and culminates on March 2nd in taking 50 Black women to the Texas state capitol for a day of advocacy. You can follow them at the Afia Center on all the socials for updates and ways to support their work. Uh,
2: And now it's about that
0: time. We hear from one of our devoted non-sponsors. When you're sitting in the stands at a girl's volleyball tourney, we know what you worry about most. What are their individual stats this season? And are any of these youngsters fertile right now? If only there was a way to track each player's serving aces and ovulation cycles.
2: Well, now there's Puberly, the app that makes it easy to track which players are on a spiking streak while on a heavy flow, so you can be sure no transgender child is also enjoying playing team sports.
0: Fortunately, you're not alone in your concern about team genitals. Thanks to new legislation, every female school athlete is now required to submit detailed information about their menses to our database. Now anyone with two thumbs and a smartphone can know everything about a player's menstrual cycle. The
3: app
2: is easy to use. Simply tap to follow any player you wish to get live updates on basal temperature, discharge color, and overall kills.
0: Suitable to track ages ten and over. Sign your school up for Puberly today. Use coupon code Government Overreach for twenty percent off. Puberly, never miss a drop. That is horrifying. Can you imagine? <laughs> I oh, I sadly can. I think now. Yeah, which is- no it's the things you think you need to worry about when you're a young person in comparison to things you actually need to just Mm -hmm. god well i am so excited to pivot from that and welcome our next guest comedian writer and abortion access front og and a board member joyelle nicole johnson
5: Welcome, Joyelle! Welcome, Joyelle! So good to see you! Oh, so good to see both of you. We all look so very moisturized. I we we'd like to keep it a little moisturized here at A.A.F. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yay!
0: Oh, I'm especially excited you're here because Moji and I, we like to remind everyone listening that we got to be at the taping of Lovejoy.
5: We did. We did. Oh my gosh! Yes, mm-hmm. you guys were there and holding it down and birthday party afterwards. And yes! True blues. Y'all made it in some pictures, too. Some very, very cute pictures going in and out. So mm, it's a good crew.
0: It was so much fun. And your comedy special, it's also now been recently nominated for a Critics' Choice Award. Available on Peacock. How has it been this fame wave that you've been riding? Are people recognizing you?
5: Like, how- <laughs> are you safe in Starbucks? <laughs> I'm I'm so, so safe right now. Um, My favorite thing is I people have been recognizing my voice from the radio because I do this um, serious XM show often. And I was at like the African, pro, like American parade or something on Fulton Street. And I was talking to the lady and she was like, wait a minute. Are you on the radio? And I was like, oh, yes you would be listening to the very Black show. We are at a very Black (laughs) moment. So yes, so that's why I've been recognized for my voice. What show is this? Yeah, which show? Oh, Urban View, Karen Hunter and Clay Kane. So Urban View's channel 126 on Sirius. And it's talk that empowers. And they just talk about a whole bunch of bliggity Black stuff. We do Black trivia, like Black History Month, all that stuff. Black History Month's every day. Every day is quarantine. I was going to say, so this month, you just talk in February? What are you saying? We just talk in February. <laughs> Houdi, <laughs> Houdi you know what I'm saying? So also, just while we're doing the like
2: uh, Joyelle accolades list, you got a Writers Guild Award nomination for the pause with Sam J on HBO yes. Max. Come on, tell us about this
5: show too. Like we know you're a stand-up comic, but what is this writing room shit you're doing? Like, is that an easy transition? <laughs> Is that an easy, it's really not because the thing about writer's room is, are you gotta not be scared to pitch. And I've realized, oh, wow, I'm scared to pitch. <laughs> like it's always a new level of things to be nervous about. It's not It's not as if the stage wasn't scary enough. Then I'm like, oh, <laughs> wait a minute. This is just eight other comedians and comedians are mean.
4: <laughs> so <laughs>
5: <laughs> like making comics laugh is almost impossible. So you'd be like, I, I, I was wondering if... If she could please do this in the scene. I just hope people aren't like, shut up, bitch. You know, it's like really, <laughs> really cutthroat. But I got through that with the help of my therapist. And we got nominated for a WGA I know. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you, you're, you're a writer though now. Like you have a award that you're nominated for. This is
2: pretty fantastic. Most
5: importantly, uh, WGA Insurance. That's what we really <laughs> shout out yes. to one of the guilds with the best insurance. Nice. So I guess, yeah, I
2: guess a writer was just a jury of your peers while you're saying shit. Yes. Is there anything that you were particularly scared to pitch that has gotten like that everyone was like, oh, shit, Joyelle, you are inspired. That was incredible.
5: I don't I don't remember because it was like once you got into the groove of it, it was a 13 week room. And like the first week was like when you're real nervous, but then everybody starts to get into a groove and you're pitching stuff back and forth. So I think it was just a lot of laughter. I just remember a whole lot of laughter specifically. Um, not any of the specific pitches that I had, but I was just like running through it. And it's my kind of humor. You know, we're just being silly. <laughs> we're just grown silly adults.
0: So not only are you a writer, yeah. you were you were just in Hustler Magazine in October. And we love, so y'all, like, again, this is a situation. Read it for the content and the pictures. (laughs) You talk about abortion. Hey, how did that happen? Like, how, how how did you manifest this?
5: <laughs> okay, this is a hilarious story and hilarious story. So in the writer's room, perfect transition, um, there was another woman named Teresa Lowe. Teresa is from Taiwan. Shout out to Taiwan. That's my man is half Taiwanese. We lean yes. into that part. <laughs> yes. Um, and so Teresa <laughs> used to work for a magazine about buttholes. What? Like. There was a magazine dedicated to booty holes and we found that out in the writer's room. And that's why we, everybody was like, wait, what are you talking about? You worked. You what is there a, how much writing is there to write about? Listen, wow. she, she said a they, whole were writing, magazine. they were writing like fantasy stories and like mm-hmm. all these types of things, articles, research, you know? And so she transitioned from Butthole Magazine to uh, Pause with Sam J. And one then does. from there, <laughs> as you do. As you do. That is a natural chain of events. And then you go to Hustler and you add junk right for them, like Sex in the City, like Carrie just writing. So she was like, hey, I'm doing this abortion thing for Hustler. Um, You want to talk about your abortion? I said, bitch, yes. And then they asked me for pictures. And so I, I don't know what happened. I'm disorganized. I don't answer my emails. Jen knows what I'm talking about. Um, so <laughs> she was like, all right get the pictures in and the pictures that they wanted to use I couldn't get like the clearance for so they put that picture in on the red carpet of POTUS the Broadway play I was invited to the opening night of that so it's like the back of me I'm in a mouth that is crushing the White House and I'm standing there with my uh Michelle Pratt abortion clutch and that's the picture they use and Hustler, with a little bit of titty out. Just a little bit of yes! titty out. It's the right amount of titty. It's the Uh-oh. right amount of titty. Oh, yeah. it's the Hustler t- It got the girl the full page. It got <laughs> your girl the full page. And I'm right after the set baby. It's fully lit, too, because it's there. It's just the right amount of titty. And then right next to your head on the next page, because the picture takes up the whole page, it says, I've had an abortion. So in case anyone did not know. <laughs> yes, by Teresa Lowe, Bars. So that is, and, and it's me, Margaret Cho, Megan Gailey, who was also in the writer's room with us. And um, yeah, it was Danielle Perez. So the four of us, and we look real cute, but your girl's the only one that got the fuck. Yes! <laughs> I love y'all. I love, I love all those people.
1: So I have so
2: never worked in a butthole magazine or Hustlers, but, but if I did... You would be the person that I asked to talk about abortion because you are not only on the board of AAF, you are what we like to call in the biz slash the office,
5: the anti-abortion protest whisperer. What's your secret? Oh, I love that. I love that title. Um, Yeah, it's going to prepare me because I think I have like some new jobs coming up where I'm going to have to talk to people in the streets. So this is the preparation for that. And I've realized you got to be able to talk to these people with a straight face. Don't lose your temper. You know, and and all you have to do is ask questions. All you have to do is ask questions and they are going to say something crazy. (laughs) That is all you have to do. So I cut my teeth with that with Abortion Access Front so happily. I love it. You're so good at it. I feel like every fun time I have protesting, usually you are right
2: there heckling them hilariously with a straight face. I like to heckle.
5: I like to (laughs) heckle. I also like to be like, where are your kids? And why aren't you yes. with them right now? Since you talk about people having babies. One dude had like seven kids. I was like, oh, you here. See, your wife home with the seven. Okay, sir.
0: Literally, once you hit a certain number, no, you should never get to be alone. Like you have no. had, you have helped create... And that number
2: is one, yeah. just so you yeah. know. That
3: yeah. number is
0: one. Yeah. That's Moji the is the threshold. only parent here right now. It's <laughs> like you, This is when you start sharing responsibility at one and you don't go out and heckle pregnant people in front of a building.
5: Yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm a true believer that parents shouldn't outnumber themselves. It's like <laughs> yes. two people, two kids. That's it. Oh my youngest sibling has four
2: children. And I remember I had I was at one point I was like, When did you join a cult? What is happening? Who has four children in
5: the
3: tri-state
2: right.
5: area?
3: <laughs> who
5: who can afford it? That sounds exhausting. I need to take a nap after you just told me that.
2: I will say they're killing it, but uh <laughs>
5: Good for them. I love that for them.
2: <laughs> you have been on tour with AF pretty much literally every freaking tour we've done. And again, that's probably why you're on our board beyond your like excellence and et cetera. You have any memorable memories of touring with AF besides the incredible protesting? Obviously we do.
5: I honestly can just be sentimental about going to the clinics and, doing the, the volunteer work. I really enjoyed that so much, like painting a fence, something that's just such a simple thing. You know, you paint a fence, nobody's thinking that's going to affect anyone's life. And you just realize these clinics can't get people to come paint their fences. That right. obviously can't get professionals if they are getting Joyelle Johnson to do it. <laughs> but listen, I painted the hell out of a fence. Um, you know, we in the rain, we were digging plants um, in the rain. I forget what city that was. It it was one of them red cities. We were out there in the pouring rain, digging holes to put plants and trees in uh, that we had gone to purchase for this clinic just so they could be in between them and the protesters, like planting trees so that, Ooh, what time we, we planted a prickly bush, uh, right, <laughs> <laughs> right an outside. an aggressive plant. <laughs> oh, just like a little prickly bush right outside where the, the limit, legal limit for the protesters to stay at was. That was fun for me. I might've chose it. That's on brand. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: What is bringing you joy these days? And we mean this question seriously because like stuff has been hard for everybody. But you just said Valentine's Day. You referenced having a great partner. Yeah, what's making Joelle happy?
5: Nothing to do with him, but um, no, <laughs> I love him so much. We also uh, like love, love him man. too. He's great. <laughs> He's great. He's great. He's great. But this is our your that... man appreciation team. Just so you know. Oh yes, he he just um got a plant delivered today, and that was like my bouquet of flowers because he knows I'm more of a plant person than a flowers person. So I got my Valentine flower plant, is and it's an easy plant. So you know, I won't kill it. So <laughs> that's making me happy. We got two plants in the house now. It was on my babies. And I just purchased from the Andre Leon Talley Christie's auction. I just got a bag with his initials on it. It's bright red and it is going to be displayed in my house just to just think of, you know, luxury. So I have an Andre Leon Talley oh bag goodness. that I just purchased today. I bid on the Keith Herring plates and I got outbid really quickly. I got outbid <laughs> I really love that, that emoji. You you were involved in Black History. <laughs> you were involved in Black History. Yeah, I, just I had got up be... in in five minutes. <laughs> oh, did you see the live auction? I did not see the live auction. <laughs> My friend was tracking it for me. She was like, "Oh, she was like the bid is now," and I was like, "I hope the person who gets them enjoys them." The live auction was one of the most stressful experiences of my life because things were going in that when you know you set your limit, and when it goes right outside your limit, you're like, yeah. oh, like I can go a little bit. Oh, you oh, yeah. yeah. If I had just added five hundred more, I like it's it's so <laughs> crazy. <laughs> That's how auctions work. It's terrifying. Uh, it's terrifying. It was my that was my first uh, Christie's auction, and I went to go see it in person as well. Hi. I went to go see the items beforehand. Bringing Me Joy um, walked in. And it was just so many beautiful, colorful, colored people in colorful clothes. Like, it was so gorgeous. Just gays and straights and everything in between. And everyone's just, like, gasping and clutching their pearls at all of this. Go- we walk into one of the rooms. It's just black cloaks and oh my gosh. train-length freaking robes. And we and there was one Tom Ford cloak in the middle of the room, and me and my friend just stood there and started. Jean Grey, it was me and Jean Grey went together, and we she just a few weeks ago, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just went and we were just like holding each other and sobbing because she goes, "He's in there, <laughs> just, he's in there right now." I curtsied to it. it. It was a lot. It was a lot. So that, like, the past couple of days this auction has had a chokehold on me thankfully i'm so happy that i could have you know a piece of history and and i love that for you black yes. excellence black excellence I'm,
2: mm-hmm. marching mm-hmm. to your house in the near future to stare at that bag and possibly lick it in a public yes. Yes.
5: <laughs> yes yes
2: yes with your permission of course
5: yes 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 <laughs> people were touching the things in there just walking up to stuff touching it Oh, uh, that was very angering. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. That's amazing. We went from
5: buttholes to, uh, I Chris, really to uh, Yes, yes. <laughs> Which, judging by some of the art, he would be very happy with that natural yes, progression.
2: <laughs> he would. He would. He would. He's here, uh, appreciating that progression we made. He is here. Joelle, you are like the best
5: guest we have here. Thank you so much oh, for oh, showing up you. whenever we ask you. Thank you so much. And I'm going to have another get together soon. And y'all got to come to Brooklyn. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Bye,
2: Joyelle. Bye.
0: Bye guys.
2: Thank you, Joyelle. Always a pleasure. Follow Joyelle on social media at Joyelle Nicole. Watch her comedy special Love Joy, which is streaming on Peacock. And listen to our
0: comedy album, Lovejoy. It's available on Spotify and beyond. Thank you to Uduak Nakanga for joining us. Check the show notes for more info about Advocacy Week at the Afia Center and follow at the Afia Center on all socials to find out ways you can help and support. Thank you so much for listening. We are here for you as we navigate these dark days. We want to be a reliable info hub and a source of humor as we face some really hard times ahead. We're in this together. We got you subscribe, write a review, and give us five stars. It's the best way for our podcast to reach more people, and by doing so, you are helping more people learn about this assault on abortion access. To keep up on all the latest repro news, follow us on social at Abortion Front, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and the YouTubes. FBK Live is edited by Remy Detournay and is produced by Abortion Access Front.
2: Looking for where you might fit in to do some abortion activism? Look no further than our five-part training series, Operation Save Abortion, not to be confused with Operation Save America. It's available in video and podcast form. Gather friends, watch or listen together and follow the activity guide for a full experience. Details on the series are at OperationsaveAbortion.com. And make sure you check out the activist calendar as well which is chock full of local and national actions and educational opportunities.
0: Looking for some action? Like to be part of the solution action? Abortion Access Front is hosting a webinar on the medication abortion lawsuit that could make abortion even more inaccessible no matter what state you live in. Join us on Monday, February 27th at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Sign up at aafront.org slash Miffy.
2: Are you in Los Angeles, February 23rd? Get tickets to Brovy Wade at the Lodge Room. Helen Hong puts a lineup of the funniest cishet dudes who give a fuck about abortion to work raising money for abortion. Get your tickets at slash Brovy Wade. And we're dark next week, but make sure to tune in on March 3rd for our special Brovy Wade episode where Liz will talk to these guys about why they support abortion.
0: And lastly, join our Patreon. You'll support great content and get cool FBK merch and experiences. All pledges support this pod and all our activism at Abortion Access Front. Pledge at patreon.com slash feminist
2: We leave you with garbage pail kid left out in the sun too long, Tucker Carlson, out here showing his whole ass while losing his mind over a Lapel pin?
4: Now, let's set aside the politics and ask an honest question. Who loves abortion? Honestly, who loves abortion? Maybe you think abortion should be legal, but do you love abortion? Do you think abortion is a wonderful, affirming act you feel so proud of? You brag about it with jewelry? If you feel that way, you should know that you are not defending a medical procedure. You wouldn't say that about an appendectomy. No. You are promoting an ancient religious rite called human sacrifice.
2: Feminist Buzzkills live the podcast from Abortion Access Front. When BS is popping, we pop off. New episodes drop Friday. If you want to support our podcast and all the work of Abortion Access Front, like, subscribe and join our Patreon at patreon.com/feministbuzzkills.